Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. 2022, The Races. Special coverage on Inside Sources. Well, we are continuing to track everything today, all things election. Uh, We're broadcasting live from Bluffdale City Hall, just outside the polling location there, watching folks come in, cast their ballots, make sure you're casting yours. And in the meantime, we're going to continue to talk about some of the important policies and principles uh, that really should be driving these elections, uh, not just uh, negative radio and television ads. Uh, and one of those things that we have been looking at, an area that's uh, of great interest, uh, is as we look at how to fight uh, child poverty, the Biden administration has focused on putting money into people's pockets. Uh, earlier this year, there was a big push to extend the child tax credit. The question is, is this kind of short-term solution missing some of the critical components for upward mobility, because to me, it's all about upward mobility. And in many cases, the family plays a crucial role in all of that. Uh, really pleased to have joining us on the program today, Angela Rashidi, a senior fellow and the Rose Scholar in Poverty Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Angela, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Boyd. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. Let's get into some of this new research uh, as you're looking at upward mobility. That's something we focus on a lot on this program is how do we get the right things in place to make sure that upward mobility is there. Uh, You looked at it in depth in terms of family structure and environment. Yes, exactly. And actually, it was a a study that recently came out from two economists at the University of Chicago, uh, one being uh, James Heckman, who is kind of a giant in terms of doing research on early childhood. Uh, And their study Uh, basically was making the point that, yes, you can have government programs transfer money to low-income households, and that certainly in the short term will reduce poverty. But if we want to uh, achieve kind of long-term success for children, there actually is some research to show uh, what, uh, what we should be doing from a public policy perspective to achieve those long-term outcomes. And what they were arguing based on decades, really, of research on early childhood programs is that the family environment uh, is really crucial uh, to achieving that goal. Yeah, I think that's so important. In uh, in your piece, uh, I thought it was really interesting to, to just talk about that difference for a second on uh, the difference between you know what poverty really is. Is it just the absence of money or is it the absence of opportunity? Uh, and then what is the right role of government? And then what is it that creates space for that to really move forward? So dig into that just a little bit for us, Angela, in terms of uh, what that report came out with, what you're looking at and thinking about uh, in terms of family structure and upward mobility. Sure. And I mean, I've been studying poverty and child poverty in particular um, for a number of years, um, and I come from a public policy background. So I do really pay a lot of attention to government programs and policies and how those uh, policies can help reduce uh, child poverty. And it always kind of strikes me as kind of interesting that it's fairly obvious if you're a policymaker that if you transfer money from the government to households, it will 
increase their income so that it's above a poverty line. So that's a fairly simple mathematical computation. Um, And I think, though, what's missed there is that um, there are ways to use policy to actually affect the underlying causes or underlying uh, things that lead to poverty. And we actually know quite a bit about what those things are as well. Um, but it's a little bit harder <laughs> for policymakers to think through, well, how do we reduce single parenthood, for example? How do we actually help people and it work more so that they can get out of poverty? Those are the things that are that are much harder. Um, and I think that this study that I that I wrote about um, is one way that policymakers should be thinking about how government actually can be helpful rather than just simply, uh, you know, writing a check to families so that in the short term they might be better off, but in the long term it might actually uh, be more harmful because it can undermine some of these other things that could could help them help themselves. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. I think think that's where it really becomes a difference of of looking at someone in poverty as a liability to be managed uh, as opposed to being an asset or something of uh, immense potential uh, that can be fostered and developed. Uh, And so as you look at it from a policy standpoint uh, and from from your research and your study, what are some of those policy pieces uh, that we ought to be looking at? Well, this um, the piece I recently wrote uh, very much focused on early childhood development. Um, so there's a number of things that can be done from a policy perspective, but in my view, one of the crucial ones is to focus on children and focus on them when they're in an early a- at an early age. Um, and that's not going to result in short-term gains necessarily, meaning that families might still, on paper, be in poverty. But what research shows is that um, if you can build resources within the family, build capacity, uh, that that can achieve long-term outcomes for those children. And what this recent study found, um, and we, we know a lot of this, it just reinforced things we already know from uh, kind of the child development world, is that family environment and the parent-child interaction is really crucial. So there's this thing in child development called kind of serve and receive. Um, And it's a basic thing where a parent, you know, responds to a very young child when they give them cues. But not every parent is equipped with the right skills to be able to do that. And so research has shown that if you um, can have trained practitioners, for example, help parents learn how to do that, it actually can uh, be very good for child brain development, and they can do better because they're more ready for kindergarten, for example. They're better equipped to have social interactions with other children. So it's all part of this broader um, broader approach to helping children develop, helping their brain develop so that they're ready to thrive once they get into school. Uh, that, that is so important. I, I love some of the things that you've said in there, Angela, in terms of 
uh, one, it's it's sort of this attitude that you have to play the long game. If if you're just doing a short term political move, uh, putting dollars in pockets is, is always the winning strategy for that. If you're playing the long game, if you're trying to build capacity, and I, I love that concept of building capacity, uh, you have to go about that just uh, a little bit different. Exactly. And from my perspective, I mean, I spent um, a number of years working for the New York City, actually, the Department of Social Services. And I saw every day just this, it was really transactional. The people mm. would come in, they were temporarily struggling, um, and the government would just give them money and say, okay, here you go, and then we'll see you later. Um, and it really, you know, based on what I knew from my academic work, it just seemed like the wrong approach because it wasn't building capacity. It wasn't helping people, um, you know, to build um, not even just hard skills, but just build, you know, these skills that they need to go out and then function in the labor market, for example, so that they could provide for their own families. And what I learned during that time is that that's actually what families wanted. They wanted to get in the labor market. They wanted to work. They wanted to provide for their own families. And for a government program to just say, oh, here's some money and we'll see you again in six months, it just felt, it just felt wrong <laughs> to me working in that system. And so I think that that is really crucial. You know, the, lots of policymakers, lots of people are well-intentioned and think, well, let's just give people money. But I do think that that long game is important, and it's more about helping people build the capacity so that they can provide for their own families. Absolutely love that, and we can never do it on a transactional basis. Uh, it has to be relational, and those relations start in the family, and uh, making space for that is absolutely vital. Angela Rashidi, Senior Fellow and the Rose Scholar in Poverty Studies at American Enterprise Institute. Great piece today, and Angela, really appreciate your work. I think this is a crucial conversation uh, that should lead to better outcomes, uh, not just things that uh, are, you know, again, making one-time payments or putting dollars in because it looks good politically, uh, but long-term outcomes is what we've really got to measure moving forward. Uh, Angela, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. All right, again, that's Angela Rashidi from AEI. Uh, she is uh, focused on poverty studies, uh, and this is a great one, really looking at upward mobility and family structure and how it's so easy. The politics is so easy. Uh, checks, sending out checks, putting dollars in pockets, uh, but that's a short-term thing. It's a transactional thing. And if we really want to change the trajectory, especially of young children, uh, that family structure matters to make sure that the, the those in that home and in that family environment uh, are building their capacity. They can serve. They can receive. Uh, and they can help get those kids on their own path towards upward mobility and self-reliance. It's a powerful thing that we have to think about. Another one that happens right in the community. Well, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. We're broadcasting live today from Bluffdale City Hall, just outside the polling location, because it is Election Day 2022. Everything you need is right here on KSL News Radio. Stick with us. We're going to broadcast here till 3 p.m., and then we'll pick up uh, coverage again tonight with Jeff Kaplan starting at 6 p.m. We'll have coverage all night uh, in terms of what's happening in, as the results begin to come in. Stick around. KSL News Radio is your place for 2022. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. 
I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.